And the reason why we're studying the book of Nehemiah is we're looking at it from, from a, a, a kind of a, a uniquely different perspective. And throughout COVID and all of the craziness that the, the last couple of years has, has brought, um, one of the things that really, one of the events that happened in the midst of COVID when we first got locked down is that a, a group of pastors gathered together and we began to have you know, discussions and, and the discussions quickly turned to you know, how evil the government is and how, you know, they're locking us down and all the rest of it. And I, I, I left that meeting and as a Canadian citizen, I'm concerned about the things that are going on in our country, of course. But I left that meeting and going, is our job as the church is our job to lobby governments or is, is our job to fight to meet weekly? And have we reduced Christianity and have we reduced the church to a weekly social gathering? And if it's just a weekly social gathering and a personal faith, I don't know. It's to me, that seems really weak. Don't you think like if that's what the church is, is that the church that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it is a weekly gathering and, and a personal relationship if that's what christianity is if that's what the church is man that that is too weak and that's not gonna re, you know resist anything in, in my opinion and so when i i looked at i like created this great angst inside of me and i was like man it, it, what have i what do i believe christianity is and what do i believe that the church is all about and, and really, not, not just on everything that I've been brought up and the traditions I've been brought up in. I was raised in the church, grew up as a Christian my entire life. I, I can count on one hand how many times I missed church my entire life, even on vacations. My parents, it was annoying, would have to go to church on, on a Sunday. Man, I've been to all kinds of church. And I, I was like, we can't even vacation from church? Because, like, what's the deal? You know, because if you miss church, God might get you. I don't know. I wasn't sure what was going on. But I, but I, I, I realized... That I was like, all the traditions, what have I anchored myself in, in as far as the church is and what Christianity is? What do I really believe it is? And, and in order to discover and to find out, I, I, went and, I went and did some study in the first three centuries of the church and, and put, put a lot of attention in the first century. Because one of the things that I wanted to study, and I went to Bible college and got all that, and, and, and a lot of things that I had been taught in, in college was the theologies and the doctrines of what Christianity is. I knew what the early church believed. I knew why they believed it. I knew what they fought for, the doctrines and the theology that they fought for. But I honestly didn't know what they did. Like, what did, what did they, as Christians, what did they do Monday to Saturday? What, like, what did they do? I, I knew what they believed, but what did they do? And I was shocked to discover that what they did is, it, this shouldn't be surprising, but when I learned what they did, I began to see with, and read the book of Acts in a new light. I began to read a lot of what Jesus taught in a new light because I had always read the Gospels and the book of Acts from a theological perspective, a doctrine perspective, you know, what they believed and what's the right way to believe and what do they believe about the Holy Spirit and what do they believe is, you know, about predestination, all that kind of stuff, all that jazz. We, we can argue, you know, to the count. And I've, I've been in every one of those debates all over the place on the theologies, but what did they practice? What did they do? And I discovered Jesus taught a lot, a lot to his disciples on the activities and the practices, and he led them and, and, minister, and, and showed them ways to, to, to do ministry and to do life. And, to, and, and I realized that all throughout the scriptures, and as soon as the gospels opened up and the book of Acts opened up, honestly, 
the rest of the Bible started opening up, and I started seeing things from Genesis to maps. I started seeing stuff that I had not seen before in the scriptures. And one of the things that I discovered is how amazingly, repetitively, God seemed to focus on the role of the church and the role of Christians is not just a personal relationship with God and to escape this big, bad, horrible world and, and, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket as long as you've got relationship with God, all's good. That Jesus really intended us to be the hands and feet of Jesus here, that our job as Christians and as the church is to redeem cities and restore homes. And in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, you see it everywhere. In the book of Isaiah, we start in Isaiah 58 in this series, where, where he says, Man, you're worshiping, you're going to the church every day. That's what it says in Isaiah, Isaiah 58. Just read it. Go to the church every day. And I'm holding this against you. You're sinning by going to church every day. And I was like, that's not that bad. That's pretty good. Like you would, that would be pretty good. But he says, you're worshiping, you're doing all the rituals, you're doing all the sacrifices, you're doing all of that, but you're not feeding the hungry. You're not taking care of the thirsty. You're not helping those, those in need. And he says, and if you do this, if you do this, you'll be known as restorers of, rebuilders of cities and restorers of homes. And then Jesus, one of the last things he's taught his Disciples, Matthew 25, as he said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do to me. And then I talked about it already in John 13, verse 34. Jesus said, hey, this, a new command I give you. In other words, here's the mandate. This is not a, a new suggestion. This is not an additional command to all the other Old Testament commands. This is the replacement command. Love one another. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't say love God? Nobody else finds that interesting? It's okay to talk back to me. That's, that's, it's okay. I find it interesting. Jesus said, a new command. It, that would make sense, wouldn't it? That's how I've lived my entire life is the first and, pro, first and foremost priority is love God. Yeah, but Jesus, Jesus said that. Yeah, I, I know. I'll argue with myself if you're not going to argue with me. It's okay. Jesus did say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself. But did you realize that that was an answer to the question that the Pharisees were giving him about how to sum up the old law? Well, now I'm messing with you. That was an answer to the question of what's the, what's the most important commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. And then John and the disciples took this so seriously that John said this. John said this, that you cannot say you love God and hate your neighbor. And that word hate, by the way, doesn't mean to despise. It means to ignore. To show indifference to. In other words, you can't say you love God, church, and make Christianity just about you and of personal faith and show indifference to your neighbor. Oh, now we're messing. Okay. Pastor Kelly, just get to Nehemiah. Okay. Reason why we're in Nehemiah is because in, in Nehemiah is an entire book written about restoring and rebuilding a city and we're going as their principles in Nehemiah 
that we can learn, and there's so many. And, and last time we were together and talking about this, we were in chapter 5, and we're going to continue on from there. But in chapter 5, Nehemiah is in the process of building the city, and there's people that are using this amazing move of God. It's a miracle. It really is a miracle what happened in Nehemiah, and, and God called Nehemiah. In the middle of all that big move of God, there's people who are using this move of God for their personal advantage. And we learned last time that Nehemiah just really got after these guys and chastised them pretty strongly on trying to, to use the situation for their own benefit. And we have to be very, very careful, very careful. Human nature, we're all selfish beings. We got to be very, very careful that we don't use Christianity, use, okay, let me just mess with you a little bit more. Sing songs that are just about us. Use God just for what he makes, how he helps us and helps, helps us feel it's really quiet in here, Pastor Ralph. I don't know. But we come on, come on. We, we, we can't just make it about us. And if we make it about us, we're missing something. We're missing something huge. And, and we're, all, we're not acknowledging that we serve the King of Kings. And the King of Kings, he's, God's not up there like our puppet. He, he's, not, he's not up there to be so that we can pull the strings and he can, we can... He can get on our side and do our, you know, what we want. And if we just, if we, you know, pray in the right way and stand on one foot and right position, all the rest of it, he'll answer our prayer, do all the right things. Come on. We get weird as Christians. All right. If we come to the right place and the right moment and the atmosphere is just right and we sing the right song and we like, everything's just going to like, come on. That's not what it's about. Christianity is, is, is about, it's a kingdom. And there's a big difference between Christendom, which is the kingdom of the church, and Christianity, which is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And we're trying to find that and navigate that. And if we make it about us, Nehemiah was so right in correcting that in Nehemiah 5. And we'll pick it up in, in verse 14. Nehemiah 5, he says, Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor to the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes for 12 years. Neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread, wine, and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God." And here, here we have again is, is Nehemiah is talking about that there's, he has a right. He's been set in place by the king to be a governor to rebuild of this territory in this, in this way. He's the one that's in charge. And yet he has a right. He, he has a right according to the laws of the land and, the, and all the things. He has a right to charge people a tax as a governor. That's what they did. That was normal. But Nehemiah didn't do what was normal because, and he gives us the reason, because of the fear of God. That's so big. He realized that there's a king, capital K king, that's bigger than the small K king. He realized that there's a kingdom system that is way bigger than the small K system that he lived in. But he also, he also resisted what is, what is 
And he had a right. It wouldn't have been wrong for him to take this tax. But he also resisted the temptations. And what I want to give you this morning is five temptations of a builder. And these five temptations Nehemiah went through and the people went through. And if we get these temptations, we understand these temptations, we can avoid these same temptations. That is just human nature for us all so that we can stay on track and, and make sure that we are, are not, listen, we're not five temptations that are going to lead us into sin. These are five temptations that will get us off track. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get off track into religion no more. I want to be on track. I want the kingdom way. I, I'm, I'm trying. I hope you feel the angst inside of me. I'm trying to wrestle out my traditions and understand what is, what, is, what is tradition and what is kingdom. And there's a big difference between what is traditional Christianity and what is kingdom Christianity. And we're trying to find kingdom. Is that Okay. And he did not do this because of the fear of God. So here's the first, the first temptation of a builder, and this is where it always starts. It's, it starts with discontent. And you can get, if you realize that when the devil tempted Adam and Eve, the first thing that the devil did was, was appeal to the potential discontent. Right? He started appealing and going, yeah, you've got all this. Eve, but what about that tree? I mean, they were given an entire garden and all of a sudden the serpent's like, hey, you got all this, but you're missing that. Wouldn't it be better if you had it all? And he's starting to appeal to what is naturally human nature in all of us is this discontent. And we get into this discontentment where we're like, well, I don't know. And Nehemiah would have been subject to the same temptations as everybody else if he had gotten discontent and saying, well, I, I left the palace even though I was a butler, I was taken care of and all the rest of it, and here I am in the middle of nowhere trying to work with, you know, with people who aren't, and right after he's correcting people who are fighting against him and all the rest of it, he's like, life was much better back then, and he's probably battling the same temptations of discontentment that the rest of us would battle with. But we have to realize that the first temptation of a builder, first temptation of being a kingdom Christian is discontentment. We can get discontent. Anybody? Is that okay? I battle with that all the time. And then it leads to the second one, which is I deserve. If I get you know, discontent, Nehemiah resisted the temptation of this entitlement, this I deserve mentality that I, yeah, I'm technically the governor, so I deserve you know, to be taxed. I deserve these riches, and I'll, I'll, I could take it. I deserve. And we get discontentment can... Uh, suddenly lead to this sense of entitlement, which is that I am owed something, that I've been sacrificing. God owes me. You know, people around me owe me. My family owes me. You know, I deserve, I deserve this. I deserve that. And we can get, we can get into big dangers if we allow our discontent to trip into and fall into entitlement, that I deserve and I'm owed something. We get into trouble. Nehemiah verse 16 goes on. It says, I also applied myself to the work on this wall. We did not buy any land and all my servants were gathered there. For what reason? All my servants were gathered there. Not, you know, not, not just to ease all of my needs. My servants were gathered there for the work. And I love this because Nehemiah kept the mission forefront. He had the fear of God and the mission ahead of him. And this is, this is a, a big, big key for all of us in how to overcome these temptations is that we gotta, we gotta fear God and realize the king has a standard, that he has a way. And by the way, Jesus' standard 
of love one another, that's a higher standard than, than I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments standard. We, that's the lower bar. Come on. The Ten Commandments. Like, come on. If you're, if you're going to love one another as Jesus loved, come on. Lying is the least of your problems. Right? I mean, come on. That's a higher bar. Do we see this? Like how Jesus calls us to love. If we were to do that, oh. You don't have to follow a bunch of rules no more. You just love. Like Jesus loved, watch what happens. Now watch. I I applied myself to the work. So fear God, love people. Fear God, love people. And the work, the mission, rebuilding the city. Verse 17, moreover, there were at my table 150 Jews and and, and officials besides those who came uh, to us from the nations who were around us. Now that which was prepared for each day was one ox and six choice sheep. Also birds were prepared for me in one once in ten days, all sorts of wines were furnished in abundance, yet for all this I did not demand the governor's food allowance because the servitude was heavy on this people. I did not demand, he, he fought the entitlement, I did not demand the governor's, which would have been rightfully his, food allowance would have been rightly allocated for himself. I did not demand that because the servitude was heavy on the people. He maintained his position as a servant of all. I love how Nehemiah combats the first two temptations. Discontent and I deserve he, with the fear of God and his love for the people. That's our safe zone too. And then look at this in, in verse 19. Remember me, O God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah, is, I love this. He's human. And I love this because, because you can see he recognizes he's sacrificing something here. But he doesn't put that entitlement or that, that, that pressure on the people to supply what he's owed. He puts that pressure, he casts that pressure on God and says, hey God, you see what I'm doing here? Remember me. And he's not demanding that God does this. He's just asking, hey, God, could you remember me? So what do you do with this feelings of discontent and this entitlement that sometimes creeps in us? We cast it all on God. We don't demand it on, on, uh, from others. We cast it on God. We give it to him. Chapter 6. Now when it had, was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, these are the bad guys, to Geshem, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent messengers to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Chur, that place, Churfurim, um, in the plant, plain of Ono. That's probably a good hint that this is going to be a problem. Um, but they were planning to harm me. And then it says this in verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should uh, the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Okay, so here's, we've already talked about this verse and we, we've looked at this in the series. But here's the thing. These guys came with the third temptation of, of a builder. And the third temptation after discon, you know, discontentment and I deserve entitlement. The third, 
The third temptation is distraction. This is how the enemy comes at us. This is how, this is how our human nature, we can, we can become discontent. We can get the sense of entitlement. We can get distracted. Distracted is what happens when you, something grabs your attention. And there's a difference between something grabbing your attention and something you're supposed to pay attention to. You see, when you pay attention to something, you're investing into that. That's paying. I'm paying into that. It's worth me investing into that and giving my attention to that. I give my attention to that. I pay attention to that or something that grabs my attention. And we live in a world of distraction, don't we? There's tons of things that can distract us. And if you get, if you allow yourself to get distracted or something, allow something to grab your attention, you're going to get into trouble every single time. And this is, and, and, Nehemiah, they tried to distract him, and Nehemiah is like, he's focused, he's ultra-focused. He's like, I am doing a good work, I cannot come down. I've got a mission ahead of me, I cannot come down to you. Why should I waste my time? I cannot come down. That's, that's something that's going to grab my attention, but I need to pay attention to the work. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote this in Proverbs 4. He says, set your gaze on the path before you with fixed purpose. Fixed purpose. That means that there's some discipline in, in doing this and fixing your purpose and fixing your gaze and paying attention to something. There's, gonna take, there's discipline of what you're supposed to pay attention to with fixed purpose, looking straight ahead. Ignore life's distractions. Come on, come on, come on. As, as Christians, isn't it true? Like the world can distract us. There's tons of things that can distract us from what the mission God has, has placed us on, what we're here for. And the, that's, that's, that's one of the enemy's biggest ploys is that he can, if he can't, if he can't cause you to be discontent, if he can't cause you to get this I owe you deserve, you know, I deserve entitlement, he can distract you with something that will get you off mission, off track. And there's lots of good things we could be doing. But in this season, I hope you're hearing me, in this season, we need to be focused on God things. God is up to something in this time right now. Come on, that's why we're part 12. We're focusing on something. We're getting to something because God is shifting something globally in the church. Every pastor I talk to is is saying the same stuff, and I'm like, oh, this is incredible. God is doing something, and there's a time, this is a time now where we need to pay attention, not allow something to grab our attention. We need to pay attention. Verse 4, it says, Then they sent messengers to me four times in this manner. You guys were persistent. And I answered them in the same way. Then Sanballat sent his servants to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it's reported among the nations. And Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall and you are their king. You're to be their king according to the reports. And verse 7, you have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah. And now it's been reported to the king uh, the, according to this report, so come now, let us take counsel together. They're starting to accuse him of, of personal gain. And had, listen to me carefully, had Nehemiah succumbed to the first temptation of discontentment, had Nehemiah succumbed to this sense of entitlement and taken even the governor's allowance, he could have maybe been, been distracted by this temptation saying, hey, you're trying to set yourself up king. And he's like, I'm trying to set myself up king. I'm not even taking the food that's owed me. Yeah. 
Never mind trying to take a position that's not owed me. Right. So we, this is why it's so important for us to pay attention to to these things and know these things. Verse eight. Then I sent a message to him saying such things as you're saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. I like that. <laughs> you're making it up. All right. Inventing in your own mind for all of them were trying to frighten us. Verse nine, thinking they would become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Here's the fourth. The fourth temptation of a builder is discouragement. If the devil can't get you with discontentment, if he can't get you with entitlement, if he can't get you with distraction, then surely he can try to discourage you. And this is what the, the, the attempt was. Is the attempt here is to discourage Nehemiah, to come at him, to be persistent, and to, and to bring this discouragement in there. That's the, that's the fourth temptation of a builder, is discouragement. Every single one of us battles discouragement. Sometimes you just wake up discouraged. Anybody ever just kind of wake up and you're like, man, you just have those moments. You just wake up discouraged. And listen, what do you do with that discouragement? You do with that discouragement what Nehemiah did. And Nehemiah immediately, they're trying to discourage us from the work. And he says, oh, God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah knew where to go to get his help and where to get encouragement. He wasn't going to go looking for it with the people around him. He didn't go looking for, hey, we're doing good, right? We're doing good, guys. We're doing great. Are we doing good? He went to God immediately and said, hey, strengthen my work. Strengthen my hands. Knew, knowing, he might not have been discouraged, but knowing that he was susceptible to discouragement. That was their attempt. That was the temptation of, the, of, of a builder. And so he says, God, strengthen my hands. The psalmist said this in Psalm 120. One, he says he knows where to, to go for help. He says, I will lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. David, when he wrote this, David knew this in 1 Samuel 30. It says in, in verse 6, it says, you know, all of, the, all of the men had turned against him. All of his wives and his possessions had been stolen from them and everybody turned against him. And in the midst of it, verse 6, 1 Samuel 30, it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Nehemiah, or David knew exactly where to go to to get his strength. He withdrew into a tent. And I love that you got to read that chapter again. 1 Samuel 30. He so strengthened himself in the Lord that, that he asked God at the end of his prayer and getting his encouragement back, shall I pursue? Pursue what? Pursue the enemy that had just hauled off all of his possessions. Shall I pursue? He didn't say, shall we pursue? He said, shall I? He so encouraged himself that David thought, I took down Goliath. I got a God. I got a God on my side. It's so, it's so big. I took down a bear. I took down a lion. This army, I can take them down to me and God. We got it. And he got, he left the tent so encouraged. He got on his horse. And I think all the men looked in his eyes and said, I've seen that look before. And the rest of the men came with him. And then they said they recovered all. And had David, listen, had David succumbed to discouragement three days later, three days later, he was made king. Had David succumbed to discouragement, he would never have become king. Had Nehemiah succumbed to any of these four temptations, he would not have rebuilt the city. It's so vital for all of us. To know this saying, we've got a job to do, we've got a mission, we're not going to allow something to grab our attention, we're going to pay attention 
to our mission. We're going to fear God and love people. Verse 10 says, When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, son of that guy, um, who was confined at home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple. They're coming to kill you and they're coming to kill you at night. But I said, Should a man like me flee and one such as I go into the temple to save his life, I will not go in. Then it says this, then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And they had hired him for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. I love how Nehemiah is just breaking this down. He's like, I, he knows what they're trying to do, what they're coming at and doing. And then he says this, remember, O God, Tobiah and Sanballat according to their works of theirs, and also Nadoi, uh, the prophetess, and the, this, the rest of the prophets who are trying to frighten me. And here's the fifth deception. The fifth deception that Nehemiah faced was, it, the fifth temptation is deception. So he, he felt discon, the discontentment, push that aside. The entitlement, push that aside. Distraction, I'm doing a good work, I cannot come down. Discouragement, oh God, strengthen my hands. Deception comes. Now, now watch, this is the progression. The devil does this. The devil did this with Adam and Eve and it worked. The devil tried this with Jesus in the temptation of the wilderness and Jesus would not be allowed to become discontent, entitled. He's like, hey, you can just, look at what the devil did. Tempted Jesus by saying, by saying hey, you discontent, are you, are you hungry? Maybe turn these stones into bread. The, the, the entitlement, hey, you're, you're, you're God, you say you're God, you should call the angels and they should be able to, to rescue you if you jump off this, this thing. And, and Jesus refused the battle of entitlement, of discontentment, distraction. Like the, he, he wasn't gonna argue with the devil, he just quoted scriptures like, get away. Discouragement. Way. Like, and if you, if you succumb to these first four, you're going to be most likely easily deceived. And these are, these are the temptations of a builder. This, this is what we battle. And Nehemiah was human. He faced all the same temptations you and I do. And you're going to face the same things. And maybe there's something tweaking you and going, man, are, are, what do you do? You're going to feel discontentment. What do you do? You fear God more, realize God is your supplier, and you stay on mission. You feel entitlement, I'm owed something, I deserve something. What do you do? You fear God more, stay on mission. You get distracted, what do you do? Fear God more, stay on mission. Discouraged, fear God more, stay on mission. Pretty simple, right? Let's skip to the takeaway, if we can. This is true leaders fear God and love people more than personal gain or fame. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a true leader. Nehemiah, this is amazing. In the, he faced all these temptations just in the passage that we read. Faced all these temptations and yet he feared God and loved the people more 
than personal gain, fame, or anything else. So my challenge to you this morning is if we're going to be, if we're going to be rebuilders of cities and restorers of homes, this is just an encouragement. You're going, to battle, you're going to face all the same temptations, all the same feelings, that we need to stay on focus, fear God, love people. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for Nehemiah's example. And Lord, I just pray that you would just help us to overcome. We, we're going to feel these things. We, we know that we're human. But I pray in those times, Holy Spirit, would you just bring to our remembrance everything that we've learned and studied and help us to reveal to us the temptations that we're facing, the feelings that we're facing right now. And Lord, I pray that, that you'd help us to stay on mission. Give us the strength we need. Strengthen our hands, oh God. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Paul says in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to run through a prayer with you guys right now that does exactly that. And it's not joining this church or a church. It's not joining religion. Simply just a relationship with God. Uh, so if you'd like, I would encourage you to close your eyes, bow your head, repeat this prayer after me. So dear Jesus, I confess that you are God. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you now to become my Lord, to become my Savior, to become my friend. I thank you that my past is past and that I can begin anew with you today. My heart is yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So guys, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a link in the comment section. I would encourage you to fill that out. Click on that link, fill it out. We'd love to just be a part of your journey. Love to help you out in any way that we can. And so if you prayed that prayer for the first time and accepted Jesus into your heart, congratulations on that amazing, amazing decision as well. Click that link, fill out that form. We'd love to to be a part of, uh, of whatever you're going through right now and, and just help you out in any way that we can.